Please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. The scripture reading from this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Following the reading, we will sing the Gloria Patri, which is printed for you in your bulletin. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were, from the first, eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. It's been a popular idea for the last hundred years or so that what you believe about Jesus is not really that important. What is important is how you live your life. A common phrase that you may have heard is that the gospel is a life to be lived. There was perhaps no better opponent of this idea that the gospel was, is simply good deeds and a, and a life to be lived than a man named J. Gresham Machen. Machen lived around 100 years ago And he was a Presbyterian minister whose credentials were stripped because he held to the historic teaching regarding Jesus Christ and the Gospels. He knew better than any, and he would say, and throughout his works, that the Gospel is first historic. It's news. It's news, not advice, first. News that if you receive it, and if you understand it, and if you learn it, and you take it in, and you trust Jesus Christ, then it will lead to a changed life. But it's not first a changed life. It's first news that has to be believed, that if you believe will lead to a changed life. We're studying the Gospel of Luke this morning. We're introducing the Gospel of Luke, and Luke was written in order that you would know the true historic Jesus. If you hear nothing else from this sermon, please hear this, that I want you to experience the life-changing power of the gospel. I want you to experience the joy and the peace that comes through the forgiveness of sins, through knowing Jesus. But there is no shortcut. If you want the power of the gospel, you have to know the real Jesus. That's what we're looking at this morning, the real Jesus. There are three things I want us to consider about Jesus. First, the testimony about Jesus. Second, his love, his love that is throughout the gospel of Luke. And finally, the power of Jesus that is seen throughout the gospel. So first, the testimony. Second, his love. Third, his power. First, his testimony. For the first 1,700 years or so of Christianity, there were people who questioned the reliability of the Gospels, but by and large, they were fringe. Uh, That was a fringe movement. By and large, everybody understood and accepted that the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were historic 
reliable accounts. But beginning in the 1700s, particularly in Europe, there were people who questioned it. There was a movement called the Quest for the Historical Jesus. It was made up of people who thought there were only certain parts of the Gospels that were true. David Strauss said that Jesus was purely human, there were no miracles, there was no supernatural activity, much like Thomas Jefferson, who had cut out the miracles of his Bible. Herman Remaris said that all we really know about Jesus is that he's just a political figure. Everything else in the Gospels, we don't really know that. We don't, they aren't really true. William Reed said that all we really know about Jesus are the apocalyptic sayings that he taught in Scripture. Everything else is, is false. There was even one man named Bruno Bauer who denied that Jesus ever existed, that there was no historical person named Jesus. Now, in contrast to that movement, we have here... In the first four verses of Luke, a very clear exposition of the gospel that tells us that it is a historic account of Jesus' life. Many have undertaken to draw up, up an account. It was probably true that there were different sayings of Jesus that were being circulated from people who had been there at the time, but let me tell you what is unique about Luke, Matthew, Mark, and John. They are the only... God-breathed account that we have of Jesus' life. They are the only fully sufficient, fully authoritative account, gospel account that we have. They are fully sufficient, fully authoritative, and they rest on the historical work of Jesus, the historical person of Jesus. C.S. Lewis would say of the Gospel of John, but he could have said this of, of Luke, I've been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legends, and myths all my life. I know what they're like. I know that none of them are this. Of this gospel, there are only two possible views. Either it's reportage or else some unknown ancient writer without known predecessors or successors suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern novelistic realistic narrative. Luke is writing as a historian as someone who tracked down the people who were involved and the people who were there when Jesus was living in his earthly ministry. Here's what R.C. Sproul says. With regard to discovering the details of the birth of Jesus, we can imagine him going about Palestine, finding people who were there when Jesus was born, perhaps tracking down a surviving shepherd and asking him to recall the events of that night in the field outside Bethlehem. Luke might have visited Mary and her family, questioning and probing to get the information that makes up the narrative. He had no interest in rumor or speculation. He wanted eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony, end quote. That's what we have here in verse 2. This testimony was handed down to us by those who were first eyewitnesses and the servants of the word. Who's he talking about? Well, the servants of the word most likely the apostles. But in addition to that, the eyewitnesses that Luke interviewed. The eyewitnesses that Luke interviewed. And here's the, where the rubber meets the road. If none of this were true, then we have no gospel. We have no hope of salvation. We're still dead in our trespasses and sins if this is not true, if this is not accurate reporting. One of the tips that it is true 
I think, is from verse 3, that Luke addresses this to Theophilus. Who's he? Most likely, Theophilus was a wealthy, respected man of status. He was most likely a Gentile because it's a, it's a Greek name. Theophilus means God-lover. But in those days, if you were to embark on a literary project, you needed funds. You needed a sponsor. Most likely, this is Luke's sponsor, Theophilus, who gave him, perhaps, the money to travel around and interview the people who had been with Jesus. Most excellent is a formal address. It's the same address that Paul uses in Acts 23 when he addresses Festus and, excuse me, Felix, and in Acts 26, Festus, Paul uses that same address. It's a a form of respect. But the point of all of this is that you, the reader, would have certainty, that's what it says in verse 4, that you would have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. And Luke would want that not only of Theophilus, he wants that of you. And I want that of you. I want you to know the real Jesus. I want you to experience the life-transforming power of the gospel. But in order to have that, you have to know the real Jesus. There is no Jesus without the gospel narratives. There is no salvation without the gospel narratives. Just a quick aside, Luke is mentioned as Paul's companion, not only in Colossians 4, verse 14, he's also mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, he's also mentioned in Philemon chapter 24. He was most likely not an eyewitness himself, but he interviewed those who were eyewitnesses. When I was studying history in college, everyone was supposed to know the difference between a primary source and a secondary source. A primary source would be something like a letter that George Washington wrote, if you were studying George Washington. A secondary source would be a biography of George Washington written hundreds of years later. Luke is giving us primary source material, primary source material about people who have been there with Jesus. When was he writing? Most likely around AD 62. Most scholars think that Luke was written as one work with Acts, the book of Acts. Acts, the book of Acts, ends with Paul under house arrest in Rome, Acts chapter 28. We have reason to believe that that was around A.D. 62. We also believe, historically, that Paul was most likely martyred in the mid-60s A.D. If Luke had been writing this after Paul had been martyred, he probably would have included it in the book of Acts. But we don't get an account of Paul's martyrdom in the book of Acts. Therefore, it's if you're, if you're following with me, therefore it's likely that, that Luke wrote this sometime in the early 60s A.D. That's the testimony that we have. It is reliable, it is authoritative, it's sufficient, primary source material. But secondly, I think Luke would want us to, to realize as an introduction to his book, one of the great themes of the book is the love of Jesus Christ for sinners. The love of Jesus Christ 
for sinners, for people like you and I, people who are even on the outskirts of society. In Jesus' day, women were not treated in the same way as men. They were in some ways seen as second class. They did not occupy a place of importance or honor in that society, but Luke, and Jesus in particular, gives women great honor. Mary, who's sitting at Jesus' feet in Luke chapter 10, is praised. The poor widow in Luke 21, who gives two small copper coins, Jesus praises her generosity. The men, some of the men had abandoned Jesus around the time he he was arrested, But the women followed Jesus in Luke chapter 23, verse 27. It says some of the women were following him. Children. Children were also considered not to be that important, but Luke gives them a special place in his narrative. Jesus raises the widow's son in chapter 7 of Luke. He heals Jairus' ill daughter in chapter 8. And most likely it was a child who was demon-possessed in chapter 9, In any case, he heals a person who's demon-possessed in chapter 9. These are people who are on the outskirts of society, the people who are not considered to be the religious insiders. Jesus honors them and loves them and accepts them if they are repentant. A great example of this would be Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 is an arch tax collector. That would have been, in our day and age, like an arch-criminal, someone like Don Corleone. He was not respected in society. He was hated in society. But Jesus uses him as a model of repentance. He's praising Zacchaeus' repentance. The woman of ill repute, the woman of the night in chapter 7 of Luke. Jesus praises her rather than the Pharisee. In the parable of the prodigal son, it's the son who's wasted his father's money, who's blown it big time, who by all re- for all reasons should be condemned, yet he's repentant, and in the end, it's the prodigal son, the younger son, who has a restored relationship with the father, rather than the older brother, who's never done anything wrong and doesn't think he has any need for repentance. The point of all of this is that you would see your need for repentance, that you would identify yourself as someone who's sinful and needs to be cleansed. Do you know that this morning? Do you know that you are sinful and need to be cleansed? Foreigners are also accepted in God's kingdom, in Christ's kingdom. The Gentiles were considered to be the dogs of the day, but Christ welcomes Gentiles into his kingdom. Simeon says in chapter 2 that the good news is for the whole earth. Jesus heals the servant of the Roman centurion in chapter 7. Now, there are other themes besides the love of Jesus. Here are some of the other themes in the Gospel of Luke. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present at Jesus' baptism. The Holy Spirit empowers Jesus throughout his ministry, especially in the wilderness temptations. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, and of course, in the book of Acts, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
The importance of prayer. That's another theme. Jesus praises those like the persistent widow who come to their heavenly Father and pray for justice. He tells his disciples, he gives them a model of prayer. He tells them to pray as he's being tempted and going to the cross. All of these are great themes that we have in the book of Luke. But in addition to the reliability of the testimony, in addition to the love of Jesus that we, we see throughout the Gospels, you should know that it contains power not only for the people living in that day, it contains power for all who understand the gospel in our day. Jesus is not some person who lays in the grave powerless, but rather he's alive today. He has the power to convict you of sin and to cleanse you from unrighteousness and change who you are. Nobody else has that power. Nothing else gives you that result. Jesus said in Luke chapter 7, uh, one of the early parts of his ministry, he goes into the synagogue, he unravels the scroll of the book of Isaiah, and he reads this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus Christ's work in that day was to proclaim liberty, to proclaim freedom, freedom from, from sin, freedom from the guilt of sin. It's the same ministry that goes on today in the preaching of the gospel. It's the same power through the Holy Spirit that is given to you and I. We are not able to go about healing as Jesus did, but through his Holy Spirit, we can indeed be changed into new people. For three years, I was a superintendent of a construction company And one of the things that you learn is that the foundation of a house is the most important part of the the building. If you get the foundation wrong, everything else will be wrong. It seems like it's a very stable, secure thing when you pour concrete. But did you know, maybe some of you know because you have this problem, that if there is a tree in your front yard and that tree grows and grows and grows, the roots of that tree can disrupt even a very stable foundation. What you have here in the gospel is like a seed that if you read it and if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you allow his Holy Spirit through the gospel to water that seed in time, it will be a powerful force in your life to change to change who you are, to give you the peace that surpasses all comprehension, to give you the joy of the Holy Spirit, to give you comfort in times of affliction. There is no other gospel than this. Jesus said in Luke chapter 5 that it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. I want you to know the power of the gospel. I want you to know the power of Christ himself. And maybe it is today 
that for the first time you're being convicted of sins. And if that is the case, I would pray that you would realize that Jesus Christ is not someone who is powerless, but he's like a great physician. He's a doctor. He's come to heal you of what really afflicts your soul. He's come to forgive you of sin and to restore you into a right relationship with God. Don't you want that? Don't you want a taste? Don't you want the joy of the Holy Spirit? Don't you want the forgiveness of sins? It is a great privilege that I have as a minister of the gospel to say that this comes free of charge. It is historic. It is reliable. It is 100%, 100% trustworthy. And if you trust in the Lord Jesus, he too will make you anew. I pray that you would have that joy of the forgiveness of sins. Put your trust in him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we thank you and praise you that we do not have a dead gospel. We do not have a dead Savior. We do not follow cleverly devised myths and legends, but we follow the Lord Jesus Christ who's reigning today. We thank you for the power of the of his work, of the Holy Spirit. We confess that like the tax collectors, like the women of ill repute, like the people who are on the outskirts of society, we are sinful, we are unclean, we are desperate to be cleansed. We pray that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and through his ministry as our great high priest, that you would comfort us with the truths of the gospel. Give us hope. Give us hope, particularly those who are going through dark and challenging times. Give us a peace in our conscience that assuages the guilt that we know that one day we will stand before you clothed in the righteousness of Christ and that we have no fear of condemnation. We thank you for the reliable accounts that we have of Jesus Christ, and we pray that you would come and work in our hearts today through the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.